welcome back to the show. I am your host, Emily Smith of Guide to Wholeness, and I'm excited to share with you the first interview of 2023 and of the fourth season of the podcast. So in this episode, I chat with Sarah McElroy, who is a former hustle culture devotee, ex-chief marketing officer, the Wall Street Journal's poster girl for pandemic career burnout, and a two-time member of The Great Resignation, class of 2021 and 2022. So following a stress-induced shingles diagnosis in early 2021, Sarah decided to hit the reset button on her life. She quit her hard-won CMO job and trekked to Peru's Sacred Valley to reset her frayed nervous system. When she returned, she relocated from the buzzy metropolis of Atlanta to the beach in South Florida for a new job and a fresh start. But she once again encountered deeply ingrained cultural issues in her new role, and ultimately, she walked away again. I know I can relate to this so much, and I'm sure you as my listener can as well. Um, And so she found herself in the company of millions of other women who also set unfulfilling jobs ablaze during the Great Resignation. She returned to her journalism roots and began to explore the stories, breaking points, and defining moments that led women to seek greater opportunity mid-pandemic. These conversations became the genesis of Raise to Rise, an organization created to amplify women's voices from the Great Resignation and inspire others to blaze new trails in their own careers. And you can check out those stories at raisetorise.com, and that will be linked in the show notes. I love this conversation with Sarah so much. It is going to set you on fire. And we talk about the great resignation representative of a much larger woman and how um, a movement in which women are shifting, how they approach their careers and um, we identify all the big lives we've been taught about how to approach our careers and the dynamics that are at play when you stay too long in a job that you're miserable in. And there are a lot of um, dynamics going on there and why you attract those roles and why do you stay too long. And we dive into that. And the most important part, I think that Sarah provides such great insight on How do you know when you reach the point that it's time to quit your job, it's taking too much than what you're giving, um, and what does that mean for the future and how the future of work will look like? So I hope you enjoy this episode with Sarah. I think it will really inspire you to get really clear on your next steps in your career, what you need in it, and if it's time to walk away and go towards your new career path in 2023. Um, So enjoy this conversation. And I also have another little announcement. So you probably noticed there are two episodes this week. Um, The last in the mini series of our vision setting series will be on Monday, um, coming up next week, the 9th, and that will be on embodying. And then we are back to our regular schedule of bi-weekly episodes, and I'm so excited to share these amazing conversations that I've had. And the other is that we now have merch for Guide to Wholeness, and that can be found on my website, guidetowholeness.com. And I had so much fun designing a few items, all eco-conscious. I think some are organic, 
um, that have the Guide to Wholeness logo. So you can rep the podcast, show support. There's a really cute um, like waffle beanie, um, eco tote bag, and tumblers, mugs, things like that. Um, so check it out on the website. And I've also been playing around the last few years with developing my own incense and creating that uh, with essential oils in a non-toxic way. And I have created a blend for career confidence and incense. And I have had so much fun gifting it to friends um, and clients over the last year. And those are now available on my website. So check it out um, if you're looking for some support with your career. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. I'm so, so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Emily. It's wonderful to be here. Yes, I resonate so much with your experience and your mission. And before we dive into the questions, I would love for you to share with me and my listener what really brought you to the space that you're in now and helping high achieving women leave their jobs and go towards a job that is more in alignment? How did you get here? Well, it has been a journey for sure. And one that was not expected because I really was that corporate good girl for all of my career up until this last, we'll say 18 to 24 months. And I was always like, I just knew that that corporate playbook of climb the ladder and chase the, the fancier titles and the bigger paychecks and like all of the things that they, they told you to do. I'm like, I can do this. I, I understand. I was one of those kids who was really academically inclined. And so it just always made sense that if you gave me the roadmap, I could execute against it. But as we all know, that doesn't leave a lot of room for grayscale and real human messiness in the midst of that. You you end up trying to be become a robot uh, to really live that way. But it worked for a period of time, and it did lead me to the C-suite by the age of 35, and that was something I was super proud of. But I was also working or completing an executive MBA program at the time of working that job, and it was leading me to work up to 20 hours a day, not every single day, but to balance both the professional responsibilities, trying to prove I was worth my salt in this, you know, first opportunity to be in, in the C-suite. And I'm the youngest member of the executive team and kind of treated as the, the yeah. kid sister at best. Uh, yeah. And other times really, it was a pretty toxic environment. So I'm like, well, I have to keep, have to keep that going. I can't show that I have any weakness to them, but I've also got to graduate. And so I had a couple of um, episodes of throwing up blood when my body started to rebel against that kind of just constant churn and burn. And eventually I got shingles in April of 2021 and was like, okay, Sarah, <laughs> time to hit the life reset button entirely. This is not working. So that was my first great resignation. I'll pause there if you have any questions on that, but then I've also got another one <laughs> that was uh, really the impetus that led me to work on this project of Race to Rise and Women from the Great Resignation. Yeah. I love to know like, when was the exact moment you quit? Like, was it after the health scare? I think sometimes 
it takes a few things to like really, um, you know, have to come to that decision. So what, what was that point for you? Yeah. Well, Emily, I really appreciate that question because there was, when I look back with the absolute gift (laughs) that is hindsight, I can see so many times when I knew that the job was so bad for me, it was just so toxic. I mean, the, the behavior amongst other folks on the executive team were not the kind of values that I would want to be working with, but it was just one of those things where it was like, I just felt like I had to do it. I've worked, I'd worked so hard come so far that I had to put up with just, I guess, a lot of crap. Cause that's kind of what we're taught, right? Is like, you just grow a thicker skin and pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And it's not personal, it's business. And all of those truisms that try to excuse poor behavior and treating people badly in corporate, they don't do us any favors. And so I knew many, many times along the way, but it wasn't until I got that shingles diagnosis and I'm sitting in this little tired medical clinic outside of Atlanta, Georgia on a Tuesday evening. And the doctor looks at my, the rash that I have that's starting to snake around my torso. And he tells me I have shingles and I have this moment of being overjoyed and of just, (laughs) wow. Yeah. It's like, it sounds so crazy, but in my very enervated, warped mind state at that point, it was like, oh my God, I'm going to have 10 days off to take a break from work and nobody can say anything about it. It, you know, it's not Sarah, it's not me raising my hand to say, well, I'm too weak and I can't cut it, or I'm waving the white flag. You know, I need a break, uh, telling those coworkers that would really, I think, at least in my mind, seize on that little bit of weakness. It was like, here's a doctor's note and a socially acceptable reason. And I don't, you know, I'm I'm not going to be able to work and there's nothing anybody can do about it. So it was like very clear in that moment that that's not a normal response to a condition that at its at its very worst, of course, can lead to things like paralysis and blindness. And fortunately for me, it didn't get that bad. But that was really that moment that was like, okay, I am not going back into this organization after my little mini shingle sabbatical unless it's with an end in sight. So I quit actually on my last day of my uh, being out from shingles. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for, you know, explaining that because I think it is really important to know, like, sometimes it feels like you can't say no. And like you were saying that it was really hard to step out of that cycle. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear what happened for your second um, resignation and walking away. Yes. Well, so I, in hitting the life reset button, I got a new job down in Florida. And uh, in between the two jobs too, I, I went off to Peru. I did a wellness retreat. I was like, I'm going to, you know, reset my frayed nervous system and explore holistic healing modalities. I come down here to Florida and I am in my new job. It's a, it's a downshifted role. It's from sea level to director and yeah. it's, it's a big company, but it definitely was less pressure and stress not all eyes on you all the time. And it made it much easier to be able to set in place better boundaries as far as the number of hours I was working. And I'm doing all kinds of yoga and meditation and I'm doing all of the things to really prioritize my well-being and happiness. 
but it's like my burnout isn't completely healing and I can't figure out why because the things that we hear about burnout really are, you know, the overworking and setting better boundaries and things like that. But what I came to recognize is that I was, I had some, uh, a member of the executive team who was making some sexually harassing comments and it just didn't dawn on me that I had this nascently healing burnout wound and I'm walking into this organization every day. Like even HR knows about the comments and hasn't taken proper steps to hold this person accountable. And it's like, no wonder my burnout isn't completely healing, but I couldn't see that at the time because I had really bought into that narrative that is bur burnout is just, you know, overworking and you need to cut back and exhibit better self-care and all of those things. But that was really what I was facing. And so in January, once this was months after e even HR heard one of those comments, like I said, um, it, that was in October, they did an investigation in January, Wow! but it was so cursory and check the box. And, and it had taken yeah. so that I, I got the readout from HR. It was like four minutes in length, even though I'd submitted 3000 words of documentation, detailing four months of missteps. And there was no new accountability for the person involved. And it was like, I am, I'm not being heard here, heard here. Wow. I feel valued. My voice doesn't seem to matter. I cannot go back into that organization and it, like walk back into that office unless it's to leave my laptop. And that's what I did. I drafted this like blistering anti-harassment le resignation letter the, that same night. And I dropped off my laptop before dawn and hit send on that letter and send it to HR, my boss and the CEO. And I walked out the door, which is like, if you think about that, Sarah, good girl, from yeah. <laughs> like she was cracked open with the shingles, uh, diagnosis ah. and everything that was previous organization, but this shattered her. So I was just like, uh, on one hand, I feel so liberated and empowered and stronger than really I've ever been because I've never been one to speak up like that. But then I'm also reeling and like, oh my God, who, who is this version of me? Yeah. I'm thinking I'm the only woman who's experiencing things like this, who's getting mired in these spin cycles of, you know, burnout and these toxic cultures and all of these things, given that, that we're in the midst of the great resignation. So that's what inspired me to start Race to Rise, this journalism project and movement amplifying women's voices and stories from the great resignation. Wow. That is such an inspiring story. And I love how you said that day, like you're a good girl self, like could no longer be there. And I think that is a huge issue for women when you end up in these companies with these toxic cultures. It's like you almost try to conform to that narrative too. And the things we hear, like I, um, you know, as women, I need to obey and I need to follow the yes. rules. And exactly. it's like very much coming up against that sense of identity that we all like are conditioned with. So, so good for you for claiming that. And I'm so sorry you went through that. And I think it just speaks to what you're saying. Like everyone has a human need to be heard, to feel safe. And that's just irregardless of work in general and uh, companies are made up of humans. So this goes perfectly into my next question of 
um, you know, we were talking about the great resignation and I know you believe that it's much larger. Um, it's a much larger movement in which women are shifting how they approach their careers. And I'd love to hear more about what you mean by that. Yes, definitely. Well, what we are really seeing is a full scale reprioritization of our lives and what matters most for really reassessing all of that in the wake of the pandemic and wondering, you know, if we recall back, it feels very far away now, but at the start of that lockdown, we were, excuse me, we were all really scared. We didn't know what was going to happen. If we were going to be alive, if any, if things were going to happen to family and friends, like we have to remember that that was a real uh, moment of crisis that was starting to shed light on some cracks and frailties in not only our systems as far as the way our economy worked, but also just our belief systems around how we live and what's most important to us. So for example, if we think about you know the rule that was everybody has to be in the office five days a week, and that's just the way it, way it has to be, it was something we mostly blindly accepted. And then we see on the other side of lockdown, that's not necessarily true. It's a bit more arbitrary in nature than most of us have ever realized. And we begin to question, what are those other aspects of the things that we've been taught that maybe don't hold as much water anymore either? And then of course, it just comes down to the the idea that our careers pre-pandemic were really at the epicenter of our lives. And that was the expectation, mm-hmm. at least. Like you need to put your career at the center, yes. prioritize that first, and then your personal life can fill, fill in the rest. But make sure it's not messy. <laughs> make sure we don't know about it. You know, keep it to yourself kind of a thing. And that was really blown wide open during the lockdown as well as all of a sudden, or, you know, with m- many more people working from home and people having to take care of loved ones, things like that, the lines before between personal and professional were a bit more blurred than they've ever been. So we started giving ourselves more grace in that regard. Then I also believe it's this right sizing of our careers too, that it's like the map that we've been given or that playbook that I was referring to of the linear career path, climb the ladder fancier titles, bigger paychecks, all of that. It was sort of like, for whom or why, or what does that really give me? Is that truly what's going to make me happy? It was just something we had all kind of bought into unconsciously. And so what I think we're seeing is this amazing movement of women waking up and saying, this isn't what I want anymore and redefining success on their own terms. And in part, it's been this baptism by fire moment for so many, because like what McKinsey and Lean In found with the Women in the Workplace report in, they've been really studying this 2020, 2021, and 2022, is that women are bearing the greater brunt of the responsibilities at home that have increased because of all of the changes Mm -hmm. in the pandemic, whether that was virtual schooling or more childcare or housework or things like that. And that was part of what was contributing to more women being burned out. And they found that, you know, women on average are spending three additional hours at home in unpaid, unrecognized labor, just to keep the household running in addition to their professional responsibilities. And it's like, 
all of that extra stress and pressure in the midst of this like very existential crisis beyond just a health crisis has created this perfect storm. But it's like women are finding an incredible sense of empowerment to shape their futures and, you know, really their, the meaning of their lives coming out of this, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You touched on so many good points and it's like, so, um, yeah, it's, I, I've seen that too. And like myself, even of the focus of career, I felt that that used to be at the center of my world, I would say even 2020. Um, and just in like the last year or so it's like, wow, like relationships, and um, health, like those are so much higher um, on the list of priorities. And it's kind of like we're walking and changing out of these old narratives and they feel very, very old. Um, yes. It's so empowering that women are, um, you know, making all these transitions. And I highly recommend to my listeners to check out these stories. I think that is such a empowering idea to create um, these stories. I'm a huge storyteller at heart and it really does help you be inspired to uh, make the change yourself. Um, So that will be linked in the show notes. Um, But I would love to hear from you, you know, on the flip side, why do you think we stay too long in jobs that we're miserable in? And why do you say this has similar dynamics to staying in a toxic relationship? Sure. Well, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing that I'll actually start with kind of the toxic relationships, uh, part of it in that when we become really mired in a situation, that's not good for us, we're going through all of those telltale signs around second guessing it's potentially impacting our health, our emotional well-being, our mental well-being, all of those things it's like our worlds become smaller and they find that in toxic relationships, when we're stuck in those situations, we start to doubt ourselves. We question ourselves. We wonder if we have any value or worth. Would we be, you know, loved in another relationship or like, should we hang on to this one thing that we have? Because it's something is something better than nothing. I don't know. The thought of an uncertainty. There was a study done in 2016, I believe, by some researchers that found that uncertainty is more painful for our brains to process than the certainty of knowing that a painful event is coming, which is just like blowing. But if you think about then our wiring, you can understand why we would, you know, choose the painful thing over uncertainty if that's the wiring that we have neurologically or excuse me um from a uh you know from a brain neuroplasticity standpoint it's like it it just makes sense so that's really what is kind of happening with the toxic relationship The, the other piece of the puzzle too is that our bodies are adaptive to stress one of the women that i interviewed for the Raise to Rise project and the book that it's becoming is a woman who is an ER doctor, but she also specializes in helping organizations help their team members work through burnout. And what she talks about is how we get a bit of that frog in a boiling pot of water phenomenon where we are in a stressful situation. So our bodies, which are so brilliant, learn to adapt to a new baseline level of stress. And it's 
adaptive, but it's also not healthy. So she says, for example, like one of the things we can experience is increased blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. It's actually monikered the silent killer in the medical field, she says, because it's like your blood pressure is raising as your stress levels are increasing as well, but you don't know it's a problem until you really, it hits a tipping point of like a medical emergency. But that's what's happening is our bodies adjust and adapt, even our brains do uh, as well. You know, we, I can look back so many times on the experiences that I had of, you know, being in a really toxic environment. And when you look back on it, you're like, I can't even believe I, I stayed in it as long as I did, or I thought that was normal. I thought it was okay or whatever. But when we feel trapped and we're just in it and all of the bad behavior is happening all day, every day, it just becomes almost like wallpaper. Now, feeling defeated, lost as to what steps to take next in your life and career, leave behind society's false ideas about how to achieve self-worth and success and begin reclaiming your life. My book, Wholeness Within, will help you shift your perception, integrate your past, and accept yourself. And this book, which is part memoir, part guide, is a spiritual guidebook for the modern woman stepping into the unknown. And it follows my journey from fear and victimhood to confusion and really walking a path that is different from everything I've ever known to self-acceptance, confidence, and self-trust. And I share my personal experiences of battling grief, burnout, anxiety, career dissatisfaction, addiction, and depression, which ultimately led me to where I am today as a career and embodiment coach and a writer really reclaiming my own narrative. And throughout this process, I share my own insights along with practices that you can use to get a better understanding of who you are, what it is you actually value in life, and how do you make space in your life for this to come through. And it is a really a healing guide and a way of accepting yourself and realizing that you're whole within just as you are. You just have to wake up to that. So you can find the book on amazon.com in Kindle format, paperback, and audiobook. And that is linked in the show notes. Thank you for supporting this podcast. And I hope you enjoy the book. Now, as far as why we stay too long from the research and talking with women through these interviews, it's really able to find three categories of the reasons that, that keep us stuck. And the first being fear in its myriad forms. It's mm. like a game of whack-a-mole because we can have fear show up in lots of different ways. Our you know, brains are very brilliant. We're wired to have fear to keep us safe, to keep us from stepping too far out of our comfort zone, to be, you know, potentially attacked by predators. That was evolutionarily obviously the the purpose of that. But it's like we can tame our fear in one realm. Like let's say you're worried about financial concerns, but you run your numbers and you feel really good about that. But then it can show up as imposter syndrome. It's like fear can keep showing up. So it's a yeah. bit of a wily cunning game that you have to be very 
uh, on the kind of the front end of watching for the ways that fear is going to show up and tame it in your life. The second is the conditioning that we're talking about. And it is definitely good girl conditioning. And I love that you, you called that out even more so because that is really at the heart of this work as well. Like women, us being taught that we need to follow the rules and uh, put others' needs first, be caretakers, be givers, you know, all of those things, the nurturing aspects of us, and like, you know, doesn't mean that those aren't important characteristics and qualities and strengths, but the fact that those expectations have been further placed on us by society in a way that can suffocate us, that can hold us uh, back at work too and keep us from walking away because it's like, oh, I need to fix this situation or what will my team do without me or my family and friends wouldn't understand if I wanted to leave and start my own business. I can't do that. I'd let them down. All of those things can get in the way as far as this, this sort of second category. And the third is really that, that limitation of our, of our brains and um, our biology, the biology part I already mentioned, but it can also be like cognitive biases and logical fallacies that get in our way. So like sunk cost fallacy, for example, gosh, I've spent you know, I, went, I did a four-year degree in nursing and I've spent the last four years in nursing. I can't give it up now. I've spent nine years of my life doing this. How could I possibly leave? And so it's amazing. We can get tripped up in all of these different ways. So it's the more that we can know that these are all potential pitfalls that we can encounter on the journey of quitting, the better we can prepare for them and be consciously aware for when they might be showing up. Wow. That is so helpful. So that, you know, that gives you, um, our listener, a framework to understand why you may be feeling that you have to stay too long. And I love that. Um, you know, I love your approach of the research behind the dynamics of staying in a toxic relationship and sticking with what, you know, and we're literally wired to cling to safety. And so how can you recognize that? And see that this is just normal that you're feeling that way, but then ultimately using your decision-making power to, um, to step out of those conditionings. That's so, so, so helpful. Um, and I love to hear that the race to rise stories is, is going to be a book. Like I think your journalistic approach to this is so needed because, um, I think, we feel alone when we're going through this and we feel like you said, um, we worry about what our family thinks or what our friends think and to see others do it successfully and do what's right for them is very, very inspiring. So I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what many women said actually from the interviews is that they watched other people, other women around them make choices to, to honor themselves and move on from something that wasn't working for them. And it's like, the more those seeds are planted, the more it helps us bridge the potentially the belief gap that we have that we can't do it. And so the more that we are exposed to those, uh, those stories and can start to see that it's possible for us, that seed can begin to, to sprout and grow into something really amazing. I love to hear that. Yeah. And it's also really helpful. Like you're saying that, you know, you might not recognize this once you're in it because you're still adapting to the stress, even though it's maladaptive. And so how do you know, and how can you recognize when you've 
reach the point that your job is taking more than it's giving? Yes. Well, the, the most amazing thing that I will, that I will say came from this research that I was not as expecting is that every woman who I interviewed reached a point of just knowing she was meant to walk away, which I was fascinated by because it, to me, it was like, this is the realm of careers. This is where logic and rationality and pragmatism, they all reign supreme. We're supposed to make decisions based on security and stability and all of those things that we've been taught, but like women are just sort of knowing and coming to this place of gut instinct or intuition that they're walking away. And now that doesn't mean that women weren't doing those more mental gymnastic type exercises like pro con lists, spreadsheets, you know, talking to other people, uh, making budgets, things mm -hmm. like that. They also did that, or some of them did, I'll say some of them were doing those sorts of activities, but they, they were secondary to this part of them that just knew. And I was so blown away by that, but at the same time, I could also look back on both of my great resignation mm -hmm. instances. And that was absolutely the case too, that there was just this part of me that was like, and, and against all logic, right? Like if I was really looking back and kind of playing that good girl archetype that I'd always been, it would have been like, I would have kept pushing through even yeah. after shingles because I wanted to, to prove myself. And that title was what I was always chasing. Or in the second job, it was definitely irrational to just quit with no job in sight and walk out the next day. And, you know, certainly leaving on those kinds of terms is not the way that uh, the good girl in me ever would have wanted to, but it was just like, I was also listening to this deeper, wiser, wiser part of me. And these women were as well. So all that said is we do come to this point of knowing we go through this six stage process as we're uh, starting to realize a job is taking more than it's giving and we're going to have to walk away. And the first stage of this process is this rumbling in mm -hmm. which we're getting these telltale signs that it's going to be time to quit or physical symptoms, even uh, mental and emotional well-being could be impacted. And this could look like disillusionment, disengagement, you know, feeling like we're trapped, we've settled, or even feeling, even if like a job is, is good and we're enjoying it, but it just doesn't feel like it's the right fit anymore. That's perfectly reasonable too, during this rumbling stage. So we start to see that like, this job that maybe we did love at some point isn't necessarily mm -hmm. the right fit. There are some cracks and fissures in the reality. We're not seeing our growth continuing the way we would want to. And so we start to realize that it's going to be us who have to walk away and remove ourselves from the organization if the organization is no longer going to be able to grow with us or address toxic situations or issues we're having with, you know, if it's like flexibility, we want a more flexible work schedule and they can't meet that. There are myriad reasons, but I just, the main thing is like, we know. And if you're having those thoughts or feelings or you're feeling burnt out and you're exhausted and you're you know, your vitality is drained and you're not wanting to spend time in your personal life or with your family and friends anymore because you're, you're so, uh, really struggling at work, like honor those feelings and that knowing because it's, it's there for a reason. Ooh, I love that so, so much. And it just speaks to 
my heart and soul because I have been there many times and the women I work with too, it really comes to a point. Like, I love that you said that rumbling, like you have this inner knowing, and then you talked about, you know, the reasons why you don't stay in a, or you continue to stay in this job. And it's like, you have that rumbling, but then fear comes up and then you try and um, second guess yourself like that sunk uh, cost analysis. And really though, it's, it's being clear that you have that knowing that it needs to happen and the signs of disengagement. Um, I think what's really hard is like you said, once you like at one point you really did love it and it was right. And I think sometimes, you know, you stay because you had that and you think, okay, but it was like this. And it's like, you know, you have to be the one. I think it benefits not only you, but it benefits everyone um, involved because you aren't showing up in the way you want to. And that has an impact. And I'll say too, that myself, like I have found that sometimes um, in myself and the women I work with that you need to leave the job before um, or, you know, like while you're job searching, because you're bringing this energy and mm. um, this like small world, I think that you said earlier, like that limited viewpoint, like you're surrounded by every day. And that's yes. incredibly hard to not internalize because it's like your current um, reality. And so and it's not something you can change. And I think that is something so helpful. You've shared that as women, um, you know, it's so easy to go into that point of like, but I can fix this and I can navigate yeah. this well. <laughs> and it's like, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have exactly. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of that. I just, I love everything you said, Emily, but it's a lot of like what, what you're reminding me of, it is a lot of that giving ourselves permission to say it's okay. It's like our careers because of that way that we've been taught or the paradigm of the linear climbing the ladder. We, there's not a lot of grayscale in that, that allows for, you know, something that felt good once to not feel good anymore, or I need to make a a really drastic change that might involve downshifting, for example, or things like that. That's not really included in that old approach, that conventional approach. And it can feel really scary to start to say that I'm going to have to let it go. But I'm more and more becoming to believe that the purpose of, of all of us here and doing this thing called life is to evolve and to grow into the absolute best versions of ourselves as whole humans. And if a job is no longer allowing for that, then walking away is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And I love what you said too, about giving yourself the space to do that. If you can away from uh, toxicity or the energy of environments that are not good for you so that you can truly craft a better dream moving forward. That's authentically aligned with who you are. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's so true what you said, when you're thinking of this trajectory, there's a lot of shame in walking away without a plan for next, uh, what's next, because that doesn't align with this idea of like, okay, I'm moving up this way. 
And um, that really leads to my next question. You know, the great resignation is still going strong, but with a recession around the corner, what does this mean for people who still want to quit? There's a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, in companies and how does that play into, um, you know, people quitting? Definitely. It's a, it's a great question. Well, first, what I will say is that back in April, Deloitte came out with the results of a survey of 5,000 women from around the globe, 10 countries that found more than 50% of women intend to quit their jobs in just the next two years. Now that number itself is super, uh, like it's pretty shocking, But when you actually extrapolate out on a five-year horizon, the survey found that 90% of women don't intend to be with their current employer five years from now. Oh my God. Percent of them intend to be there, right? Like it is mind blowing. So for me, the reasons cited at the top of that survey were burnout, discrimination, harassment, kind of like all of those old issues pre-pandemic that women already faced as far as undercurrents of gender inequities in, you know, some companies it's, it's more uh, subversive than overt, but in, in other companies, like the one that I went to where I was shocked that those kinds of things could still happen yes. in 2021, like these things are not a hundred percent being solved as much yeah. as we're talking now. I don't think that we found true solutions. And so what we're going to see, at least if I can, as much as I can, prognosticate looking through a crystal ball can say that we will on the other side of more economic stability, certainty, whatever this contraction becomes like on the other side of that, we are going to see this kind of movement again, because just because people hunker down for now, Mm -hmm. which of course is like, if you, if you need to do that and do what you need to do to take care of your family, take care of yourself while things are a bit questionable absolutely do do that if you're in an unhealthy situation and you need to get out i think it's really hard to still stay in something like that but but let's say it's not like horrifically toxic and you're you're mostly okay spend that time really getting to know yourself and doing more of the inner work that we've never been taught related to our careers to understand what your values are what you want from a company culture-wise, work life or work style, lifestyle, all of those things, even the type of work and role that you might be doing, like what is your definition of success and how do all of those pieces come together to then craft a new dream so that during this time you're using this, this bit of a lull or like feeling of stagnation. I heard a podcaster once say that during these times of like, when we are feeling like we need to make a change, something isn't working, but we can't make that change quite yet. That friction that that situation creates is like the birthplace of so much growth because it makes us face that friction head on and really understand what's at the root of it. So then we can be more conscious and intentional in architecting our next career move on the other side. So I think it's actually really beautiful and brilliant to use this time, plant those seeds, get to know yourself, figure out what that move looks like. We're talking, you know, even visualizing, building out like a dream that's going to excite you. And then once you have more stability, you can certainly make that move and you'll be ready for it. 
Oh, I love that viewpoint so much. It's actually a gift and you don't have to feel stuck. And actually yes. it's giving you that sacred pause of yes. um, being clear. And like you said, I'm a huge proponent of inner work when it comes to career and we're never taught that. Um, and and using this time to define what you want and a really helpful place is to start with what you don't want and the opposite of that and and really and feeling into that like what would that feel like and I think making decisions based on what things feel like to you versus what what looks good on paper I think that should be the focus because it's very easy to just continue I think it's conditioned in our workspaces too of like okay I have to like move up the ladder it's just like very hard to step out of that um yes. so this is great advice and I think this will be so helpful for my listener and I would love to hear Sarah where can my listener find you online Yes the the website is raisetorise.com and that's raise actually in as in R A Z E, as in burn it all down. <laughs> oh, yeah. And a new. And then you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram as Sarah J. McElroy. I'm happy to connect and chat with anyone, whether or not you want to share your story or just have conversations about this. I feel like the more we elevate this important discourse, the better off we'll all be, the less of uh, a risk that will end up just kind of going back into the box the way many companies have wanted us to do so during the return to work. So let's keep oh. this conversation alive. Yes, I am so here for that. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast. It's been a joy talking with you and I resonate so, so much with every single thing you shared. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with my listener. Thank you so much, Emily. It's been a true joy because I believe that our careers is a process. Like if we're getting to that point of dreaming, we are returning to wholeness. So it was like yes. absolutely such a joy to join you. <laughs> is at the heart of your work as well. Oh, totally agree. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, I would love to hear from you in a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. 